Feed them to the pigs, Errol. Hey, friends, have you ever wondered why about a quarter of this wonderful world does not eat pork for religious reasons? What's up with that? And what's up with the dietary laws in the Hebrew Bible, in modern Judaism and Islam? And why don't Christians tend to follow some of those old and long-standing practices about prohibiting pork, refraining from, you know, shellfish, things like this? What's up with it and why? Is it a health issue? Is it ceremonial? What's going on with dietary laws in Judaism and Islam? And, uh, and what does that say for us today? What can we learn from it? It's a little bit more of uh, uh, an academic conversation that I'll be leading us through, but I'm so glad you're with us. Let's go. Friends, we are coming to you from Florence, Oregon, and exciting to say this is an area where Stacy's sister and her family moved from from Southern California, where you all grew up. And it's really nice to see your family, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Um, but uh, but so glad you could join us, friends, and and thank you. We're here in the middle of of season four. We couldn't have done it without you. Yeah, I just want to take a second here to thank all of our patrons and all you all your tips have been really really encouraging for us we really appreciate the support that we feel uh from the kind notes that we receive and just some of our faithful listeners it's just it really 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 helps put a little sail you know in wind our, our sails. A, wind our sails. <laughs> a little sail on our wind it's, we're, it's, it's pretty windy, windy here yes yeah. yes but yes we really we really do appreciate it helps it helps with some of the costs that we do incur for the podcast but most importantly just that little show of support that we aren't completely alone in all of this. Because on this travel... <laughs> it feels alone a lot of times. Yeah, we're we're surprised. Yeah, there's a lot of human beings in the world. Right, so it feels lonely. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it, it there's a lot of people in the world, yeah. and we love all, all, all the humans. Mm-hmm. Love all you fine people. Uh, but it sometimes feels like we're just living in different worlds sometimes and you travel and you start to notice that even even more yeah and we've been on this journey now we're almost in the first month as we're recording now yeah and we've had so many wonderful experiences but yet there hasn't been that spot that says this is where we live like this is our scene this is our place that we just fit perfectly into right right yeah definitely that's so true it's you know, it's, there's not that place we could just feel like we're just going to settle in and relax for a second and just like this the space that says, I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, right. we don't have that space yet. Um, yet. And, and it just sort of, you know, I mean, it, there's been some lovely places that we've visited and been to and it, it's been, um, you know, I mean, it's been a fun adventure. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've seen a lot of things. I mean, we've seen a car upside down that had been <sighs> burnt. We thought, well, let's, this is maybe a, a place that the, the cops won't hassle us, which is probably true, but we got out of there pretty quickly when somebody made a, uh, a gun, uh, <laughs> gesture. We weren't sure if it was to us or to the people that probably were selling drugs down by the river in the vans. Well, they vans. were definitely living there. <laughs> they I mean, were living there permanently. Probably at least, what, three 
three groups living there. My first thought is always perfect. This is a place we're allowed to be, which is true. Then secondly, they don't want want us there. there. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, so always our California plates. You know, well, actually, this was still in California, but I don't think it was the California plates. I think it was the idea that that was not a place they wanted families to come kayaking. Right, which (laughs) is it it was, and it was a boat launch ramp area. So we thought, I think they were, and I don't think they were going to hurt us, but I think they were kind of making it clear that. There was other places for (laughs) For whatever we represented to go to. For boat launching. If we went to somewhere too nice, they'd say, get these hippies out of here. It's it's an interesting experience. But that's, again, Stacey's right. Your support helps us to not feel so alone because we're dispersed, and that's all right. That's that's the way it goes. And, uh, again, thank you. If you want to do it, how how can people sign up? Just, you know, $5 a month um, is uh, just a, a great way to... To, to get stuff on occasion from us. We, to those of you who are who are uh, longtime uh, supporters, um, we are going to be finishing up here, hopefully, some of the things related to our publications, and there'll be, you know, bonus stuff for you in that regard. Why are we behind? Well, it's like life and COVID, but there's also this problem where uh, I've always had this problem. By the time I'm finished with a manuscript, I changed my mind. We got to go back over <laughs> it, you know, <laughs> and to, and to gather up that energy to revisit to revisit it, and it's and pretty tough. yeah, so we're close. I mean, we're basically done with these things, but we well, go back over it. We've we're now on our second run through with the Tao Te Ching. Yeah, and, and to be fair too, even with, with, with the Tao Te Ching, obviously there's so many pieces of this, and and it's like. Did we fully capture this chapter? You know, is is this word the correct word? And there's just, you know, that's probably the, you know, the the most dangerous thing for a, you know, an Enneagram one. That's you. <laughs> is me kind of, you know, wanting perfection. the perfection, you know, um, yeah. and really, you know, really thinking this through and, and like, hmm, you know, sometimes I'll convince you to change something just to be like, you know, what, I think I was wrong about that and go back, you know, mm-hmm. like it's uh, anyway. But we're but we're we're rocking and rolling. We're trying to trying to get that finished up. But again, I mean, we want to we want to feel like as we have changed our opinions on things, we're starting to revisit some of the research um, in in studies on Taoism. I'm getting new books and, and articles all the time. We've yeah. probably purchased our 18th, uh, for Kindle at least, our, our 18th modern translation of the Tao Te Ching. Every time something new several. comes out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, we get them on the Kindle as we're on the road to read that one I know, as but well. we even have several hard copies that are with Yes, we've always had that, yeah. <laughs> but we're not really running into those hard copies on the road, although we found a Tao Te Ching. That's what I'm saying. Uh, have... in, in a box, no, one of those, the, you know, community I know. boxes. I have that one, plus, an, I mean, on our trip here, oh, we have do? at least two hard copies. <laughs> we're lousy with Tao Te Ching I think copies. we might have three, but anyway. So anyway, but friends, uh, do do know that the main thing, though, that uh, as we as we will be, you know, giving discounts and, and digital opportunities for folks that are patrons, the main thing, though, is we've kind of moved into uh, a place where we, we just really do value and, and, and need, in, in a certain sense, your support to be able to not con- consume ourselves with other duties as much on the side, in our lives, everything we do is really about helping find a place, find a, a path for young people especially, but but all of us to be happy and free and to avoid the manipulation of, of systems and communities and, and ideologies that, that seek to control us. Right. Own and, us, essentially. You know, 
And because of this, especially towards the end of the school year, so many uh, hard but wonderful conversations took place with students and other people that are our listeners. And uh, and so just know if you're if you're uh, if you're rooting for us, if you're helping us out, uh, there's some good work going on. And also got a lot of encouragement uh, through the website. If you go to protectyournoggin.org, you can leave a question that we'll answer on the show. Often it's just people calling in and talking to us that way. Perfectly fine. We listen to it just like we. Uh, we read the emails, but here's a here's a fun one that we got from longtime friend uh, Badger, our truck driving friend. Here's Badger. Hello, Jeff and Stacy. Oh, thank you guys so much for what you do. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Now I got four quotes from Stacy that just outline what I learned today. Not yet. Face your fears. Normalize the madness, and my favorite, let it trouble you, let it sit. And I, I, boy, that is just so perfect. I just want to say thank you. I want to encourage you any way I can. I'm so thankful that you guys are doing what you're doing, and just keep on trucking. So, friends, that feel free. Great. I uh, love, he's always sending us I, little, little notes dude, of encouragement. My dude, I appreciate your love, and I will not uh, uh, return your love with anything but love. <laughs> but uh, I, I do uh, sometimes feel awkward. I feel sad. I feel, almost feel sad. Um, I, have this, I have this anxiety that people that have known us for a while, as we develop and change, we will anger people mm. and frustrate people and let them down in, in some ways. And we're, we're sticking to our guns. But well, it's really yeah, nice I mean, that people like Badger can kinda, only do that. You know, you're, you're, you're open to letting us explore it. Like, thank you very much, <laughs> you know. It's like I, I, everybody, friends, thanks for being with us. 100%. Let's uh, Let's get into our uh, conversation. So uh, we're, we're, we're here in Florence. We're visiting your sister. It's so much fun. Yeah, so one a couple of things. One is uh, Florence is a place where they've got the sand dunes, so it's right along the coast there. Yes. And you can basically get your sleds and things, you're, you know, and get out there and sled on sand, which is kind of fun. Um, but more importantly for me, um, it, with my sisters, I, mean, I have a chance to be able to see my nieces and nephews. I have a, a niece and nephew twins that have graduated this year and got to see my niece's basketball game. And one of my, their, their youngest uh, was playing baseball yesterday as well. So we got to see I called that it. Game. <laughs> we saw a walk-off steal. He got a slight, you know, and won the game. Injury. It was tied. <laughs> I ran onto the field. I got a selfie. This was amazing because I, I uh, normally would not be able to see that sort of thing. We were just driving through town. We say, "Hey, let's let's stop by and see a game." <laughs> and yeah. uh, it was a great it was a great day of sports. My sister has four kids, and they're all very athletic. And as Natalie, my sister Natalie, um, as she says, she said mentioned this about her daughter Brea that they're scrappy. But I would say they're all probably scrappy in the way they play like they 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 got hustle they got hustle they Let find say, ways to like yes. you know get in there and and micah was so great at stealing bases and and even stole the winning point as we said that's how you do it friends you <laughs> yes. know it, I, I was almost so excited i was thinking hey maybe i'll just uh, shift up my game and start uh, coaching little league or something you know uh, I'm, and I'm as not, my uh, and as my sister reminds you that <laughs> there's no there's no pay and well uh, <laughs> sometimes i i thought maybe they got paid more 
<laughs> by, by more meaning non-existent like a, like a full, at least like a full like a full salary like no i guess that's not a game but uh if uh you know maybe 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 that's how i'll retire you know maybe go to some uh rural school and you know because i i couldn't i couldn't teach at you know a premier program i mean i couldn't uh coach at a premier program because i don't know what i'm doing i just have a heart you know I, yeah. I'm, I'm scrappy in that way <laughs> i want to do like a bad news bears thing without bringing the booze yeah a lot of fun. So and then we went, yeah, so we know. went to their house and uh, my brother-in-law got a whole bunch of oysters and taught us about basically barbecuing these, these really decent sized right. oysters. We've seen it done before, but I haven't. So what, we, we, don't you remember when we were back on Montauk with my family? Way I didn't back remember there? them well, ever. That's because you hardly barbecue. ever eat oysters. That's I, part of it. Yeah. I ate their lobster. I don't remember yeah. the oysters. Yeah. Well, because anyway. I went over to the shucking booth and I think at that time, that was so long ago, 20 years ago, most of the time you weren't going to line up for big old oysters on the, on the grill. And, and I, I still remember don't Mateo. necessarily uh, line up, but I will yeah. say that these were the best they tasting were definitely oysters. The best I've ever had, and, and it was so. the first time Mike had, had ever done it this way. Right, right. But these were big old boys. I mean, these were monsters, you know. And as we say, for me, this was kind of part of the trip. It was, you know, basically vegan diet with with the uh, with the oysters because yeah. they don't have brains. And then we are going to be up for my brother's wedding in Waldport, where I'm going to catch some Dungeness crabs, which are the best tasting crabs. And I will uh, uh, very kindly and humanely, uh, as best I can, dispatch them and then boil them uh, with some beautiful spices. But generally speaking, um, it's that goes pretty well because the the nice thing about these oysters is they got a lot of the minerals. What I love about the the oysters uh, that we had is up here in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. the water's so beautiful and clean, and they're just sweet, sweet texture. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, put a little hot sauce. And on they were them. super fresh. I mean, you saying you actually liked it? I did. I did. That was amazing. Was yes, really, I mean really a lot good. of times I can I can stand an oyster. Yes, you know, um, but these ones were actually it was actually good. <laughs> Don't you remember the people that re- they had the the the, the vineyard the winery uh, back at the old college in in Everett, and they they would grill those down there in the basement behind the remember that we had the parking structure, and mm-hmm. then they would have us out. Point being. It is a Pacific Northwest thing gotcha. that's much more common. Don't don't see it a lot. I, I don't know a lot of people in Southern California that are having that in the backyard, but friends, my not guess, a bad way to mix up your barbecue. Well, my guess, too. I mean, I wonder, it probably matters what kind of oyster you're doing. Yeah, if with. you want these big old fresh kids. But no, you could, you know, I mean, the the, the big ones make which, a lot more sense. Which were medium-sized, by the way. They call them mediums, <laughs> the biggest oysters I've ever held in yes. my hands. I don't know what the large looks like, but apparently they had a choice between small and medium. When you don't like oysters what 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 about oysters do you find troubling well it's basically this goopy salty thing that enters my mouth that i kind of chew and it kind of falls apart and then you it it's slicks, the texture it slicks down your throat yeah but you, it's also like the saltiness too i think in combination well like, it has a it has a it has a flavor. It's like beyond umami, which is what I love about it. But it's not. I, I would definitely say though the the texture is definitely worse to me than the flavor. You it's, could you could get around that it. sliminess. You're, you're, you're and generally that's what okay I like to about, have the, the deep fry. And that's why I like the you know the barbecuing of them because yes. it changes the texture, so it's not as um, it's still you know it's still soft, but it's not. Closer to a chicken wing, right? Than it is a um, you know just like a. a I don't know. Well, when they're raw. Yeah, right. When they're (laughs) raw, that's usually how you're served them. Yes. In any case, 
man, that was good. Yes, very good. We've had we've been had wonderful time with wonderful family and food, and it's just been it's been it's been delightful. But moving to our topic, what is the food that besides you know oysters are a challenge for a lot of people? But when you think about meats in general, the things that we're not eating anymore. What are you happy not to be eating? Is like what's your least favorite meat? Would you say? So okay, if I was sitting down to a dinner, um, my least favorite meat would be I would say like a, a a pork chop, and I think what I don't like about pork chops is that it just it's really easy for them to be like very tough and chewy, um, and I don't know, like it's doesn't feel like a lot of bang for the the buck, if you will. Like, it just is like, I don't know, a little bit more like cardboard to me than it is, um, you know, like what maybe a steak might offer. Listeners, can you don't have to write in on this one. I think what Stacey's dealing with here is the people who have prepared it in her life have, have yeah, but overcooked I, it. Well, but, but I also think... People like, overcook pork because people were worried about trichinosis yeah. and then later on people said, you know, yeah, maybe that's, that's probably, people didn't learn how to do it like so people realize no if you're going to have a steak you want it a little bit pink in the middle people are very uncomfortable because of the fear of trichinosis mm-hmm. people historically i mean then since my historically i mean in like the last 50 years of my life when i was younger people were very concerned not to have a little not even any pink in the middle of a of a pork chop mm-hmm. which meant that you're basically having a very cooked <laughs> piece of pork but to your continuing yeah i mean that's what you get. You don't like the gaminess, though. That is true. And I would say then, call, in that sense, yeah. usually lamb is higher on that list. Oh, yeah. You don't even... You don't, you, you said you don't like pork, but you, you're I taking re- lamb way out of the game. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, you I just thought mutton? about this. Yeah. You ain't eat mutton? No, 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 no. I, My favorite. Minced, minced lamb. Like, oh, I love lamb. No, like... Lamb with the mint sauce on it. No. Oh, uh, or when, when our friend Dave Schultz makes it up. That's uh, that's actually the one thing. Now you're getting me. Now you're getting me uh, like vampire feeling because I've been uh, feeling great about eating ve- you know vegetables, and I find those lambs to be cute little you know kids. Yeah. Although the kids are the goats, we'll get to that in a second. But I do love the lamb. What do you miss? What what meat do you miss? You know, sometimes because we are camping, when somebody makes bacon <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> you can smell that Bacon's all right. S- several campsites away <laughs> we've got we've got the coconut um, bacon flakes yeah. for salad but that does not do the exact same it's, thing. It's, it's 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 a fun substitute if you don't think of it as bacon there is that fake stuff um, i haven't had that I in ages I, i'd be wondering <laughs> what chemicals are in that to be honest you should be wondering what chemicals are in the bacon <laughs> that is true that is true but anyway um and you know i I don't know. Like there's just sometimes when, you know, some of the, my meals, I, I like chicken in it, whether it's, you yeah. know, sometimes a pasta or I don't know, um, you know, or even I've heard kind of at a place that's getting a snack that, you know, every once in a while munching on a hot wing is kind of fun. <laughs> so. Oh, yes. Now, one of the, one of the things about these dietary restrictions and I- even veganism we find is there are some people that have a kind of principled way of going about their diet that at least they think is rational and ethical, but most of the time, our food choices are totally irrational, mm-hmm. culturally. So as I've been researching this for this show, I did way more research than I could possibly get to. I always have a tendency to overpack it, so I'm going to try to not do that for us today. I'm going to lead us through some things. But one thing that I've found is that, by and large, the dietary restrictions of, of people groups 
tends to be tab- taboos um, uh, in, in the sense that a taboo is an unjustified prohibition generally, right? So, so why don't you eat this? Because it's taboo. We don't remember why. And many times uh, it might be related to an, an important chieftain or leader, we think. Um, for instance, when the Scandinavians get out to Greenland, they're starving to death at one point because these Danish people were related to a guy who had a fish allergy. They could have eaten these fish, but they didn't eat the fish. Or they, they found eating seals taboo. All the indigenous people were able to survive, but the Danes were trying to have their cattle in Greenland, and the cattle died. They didn't have enough food for the cattle, and then they starved. All they had to do is go eat seals and sea urchins or whatever, but they're like, that's disgusting. I'm not going to eat that. It's Mm -hmm. not food. Yeah. One thing is slightly different because it's not taboo, but it brings to mind that Derek Lynn tells a story about there's there's Dow de Jing scholar Derek Lin. Yes. yes. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, so he tells us a story in one of his talks about how there's this family. They basically always take their ham and they cut the butt end of it off and then put it in the oven. And then at one point, some of the family members were saying, wait, why are we, you know, why do we always, you know, cut and discard this portion of the ham? Well, when they started researching through, you know, talking to the mother and grandmothers and all this, well, it was because a long time ago, the ovens were too small for the whole ham to fit in, right? Mm -hmm. And so they started, they made it smaller so it would fit in the oven. Then they realized, like, wait, we have bigger ovens now. And it just is a reminder, too, of sometimes, like, where where are these things coming from? Where, you know, when you have these traditions and stuff, like, is it necessary? Did the old reason, you know, disappear? And so to your point, when, you know, like with the, the taboo part, right, it's a slightly different thing. But there is that, that, that part of it, of it originated somewhere. Is that purpose still, you know, actually relative? You right. Know? right. Re- sorry. Is it actually relevant? Rele- yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so a lot of the time we, we find that anthropologists and scholars and, and often people in the religions themselves try to come up with explanations. When the kid says, why don't we eat that? <laughs> then they come up with an explanation. And it's very often the case that the explanation that people currently use is not why. The traditional reason. What the traditional reason was. So, for instance, whatever was going on in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, when you're talking about dietary laws in the Christian Old Testament, you may find that Jews in the first century were opposed to pork because pork was associated with the Romans. The Romans were pork eaters. Mm. And so to eat pork, yes, it was a prohibition. There was a prohibition against pork in the Hebrew Bible. So to be faithful Jews, you wouldn't eat pork. But why did that become so important? Because it was the one thing that the Romans wanted you to do to fit in. And it was the one thing that you wouldn't do to eat Romanness into yourself. So mm. you're bringing Romanness into yourself or you are, um, uh, you are holding out against assimilation, right? So it's by the first century, it may not be the same reason why it started, right? Mm-hmm. So to be a good Jew, it might not have anything to do like, Think about it this way. If your enemies were trying to force you to have like Twizzlers, just as a, as a demonstration that, that you submit to their rule, Twizzlers are great, but then you might not 
want to eat the Twizzlers. Yeah. I have a question. <laughs> yes. So is that like, okay, you know, Lutherans like to drink, right? And yes. you talk about like the certain Christians with alcohol and not alcohol yes. and differentiating yourselves between other Christian groups. I think I started drinking and smoking too much, to be fair, <laughs> because I was trying to show that I wasn't a fundamentalist evangelical. When I, in my early 20s, found Lutheranism, I said, oh, or, and, and the Reformed tradition, the Calvinists, really, but like these Reformation traditions that did not have the holiness background. Mm -hmm. So what drinking, dancing, cussing, watching R-rated movies, all those things became fine but I never really asked if it was something that I should, should be doing, do, right? right? Because yeah. I was I was running from it. But yes, we, when we were in our 20s, in many ways drank publicly to show our theological affiliation and to reject the other affiliations. <laughs> you know, we, we, as we were growing up, like in our early 20s, we did not, like, we did not really drink at all. And I remember the first time you gave me a drink. And it was peach schnapps. You're mm. like, this might be something that you'd like. Yeah, just dial this one in, girl. Oh, it's sweet. You know, it's like, oh, and I had the like worst. The sweet I stuff. had the worst stomach ache after. But anyway, that's just funny. I just it all of a sudden came back to me remembering peach yes. schnapps. Like, yes. if anybody's gonna take their first alcohol beverage drink, I don't think peach schnapps by itself is a good is a good option. But now think <laughs> about it this way. Let's say you know your sister Natalie is is she's fine with having a beer. But she sees that her sister and brother-in-law are getting into this reformational tradition where beer's okay. In one sense, she might want to refrain from drinking beer with us, not because of some fundamental problem with beer, but because she is disassociating from our religious move. I'm not saying that that happened, but you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like this. Yeah. So, so this is kind of what at least Jordan Rosenblum um, in his article uh, why do you refuse to eat pork, Jews, food, and identity in Roman Palestine? That's from the Jewish Quarterly, winter of 2010. All of these uh, and others, um, all of these sources that I was looking at, I will list on the show notes at protectyournoggin.org. But again, the idea is that if you refuse to eat a pig, then you're not going to eat the Romanness. You're not taking the Romanness into your sy system. And so it is a political stance, right? But that doesn't resolve the question um, why originally were these dietary laws what they were? Mm. And, and really there's a few things, right? Like, so p pork is the, is the big one that people think about. And, and it's the big one that Jews and Muslims tend to emphasize themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So people that aren't Jews and Muslims, they know about the bacon thing and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, but why does this originally get started? So everyone's trying to figure out in a scholarly way, what's going on here. And people have applied their theological tradition, anthropology, different schools of thought within anthropology, uh, religious scholars, everybody's trying to figure it out. And here's the thing, Stacy, nobody knows. And they're, <laughs> And their I'm understanding feel, feel more and more like that about so many so many things. things. <laughs> but no, yeah, nobody knows. No, nobody knows uh. what the prohibitions were really about. Interestingly, in my research, I never really got to my favorite interpretation. It's only my favorite because it just is an interesting thought. That is, as we've said on the show before, the idea that cultures that sacrificed their children to Molech or other uh, underworld deities they often were the same cultures where people might substitute a pig for their baby mm. to try to trick the gods into thinking that they were sacrificing a baby. The theory being that pork 
smells like human flesh and that the piglets scream like a baby. So if you're going to throw your baby into the fire and you want your neighbors to think you threw your baby into the fire, you could be crying and weeping or whatever you're doing, but you put a piglet in there or maybe the whole community knows that it's a piglet. You're sacrificing this pig instead of your firstborn child or whatever. Then, hey, then then that's that. And, and I like that theory because it says that sometimes we're not eating things because we're not associated with these violent cultures that are, are killing their babies. Yeah. The problem is, the problem is like, for instance, with Abraham's story, the ram is a substitute for Isaac in, in that story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Abraham's going to sacrifice his child, but God substitutes the ram. It, so what's the difference, right? Like right. that, that's not that, that, that deep seated thing. So who knows? But as far as the scholarship goes, the first and most important is this gal, Mary Douglas. And she basically set the stage trying to answer this uh, question. Why are these things the way they are? And she says the Levitical laws, that's the, the laws that you see in the, in the Pentateuch, the old Testament, the book of Leviticus, of course, uh, are about things being out of place and not conforming to a category. So if something's not right, if something's mm. queer, then it's, then it's off, then it's bad. Or more importantly, it's unclean. Mm. See, this is the key. So we tend to think, right, like, you know, these dietary laws, like something's good and bad. It's not so much good and bad, but it's things related to the holy, mm. right? So God is holy. So if you're going to go into the presence of God, um, you shouldn't be a menstruating woman. Yeah. Because there's something like off about this. Um, you shouldn't mix different types of cloth, linen and, and cotton or something. Like you don't want to mix these things. Um, and then the, in the case of the pig, you've got all these animals that we can eat that chew the cud. Here's a pig that, here's an animal that is on all fours, just like a cow, but it doesn't chew the cud. So it's off. There's something, something wrong about it. So don't eat this thing. So the off or wrong thing and how we'd establish that is something that always just throws me for a loop. Like even yes. something completely normal, like a woman menstruating mm-hmm. is considered off. Like, I don't know. Like it's, it's interesting. Or out of, pl- uh, or yes, un- out of right. unclean. It, reminds, yeah. it kind of reminds me and I'm sorry, I'm going to take us down one more little thing. That's is fine. We were watching, uh, the, the dog, the best of show. Thing best, yes, we, yes. Well, we were watching the the finals yes. for the dog show this year. Yes, and we happened. It, we what we had we had a place that offered cable, and we were like, let's see what's on We've, cable. We haven't watched cable in years. <laughs> there weren't very many channels, but apparently this was on. So we were like, huh, like it's kind of you know, and a window into that world because we've we haven't. What, yeah, like you said, we haven't watched cable in years and years and yeah. years. We've had just like, you know, Hulu and all the Some streaming stuff, yeah. stuff or whatever. Um, but best the the dog show, like, yeah. so they have all the different breeds, and there was, you know, they all like have this, you know, what is the perfect version of this particular type of dog? And I, and I get it. Like, I understand that the different breeds, you know, they have different purposes and things like that. But that that the idea that like this one needs to have short hair, this one's going to have really long hair, this, you know, and then like all these different things. And it just the idea of perfection Mm -hmm. for a breed, it just I don't know, it just struck me as a little horrifying in a way. I mean, I know just I don't know, it just seemed like, uh, you know, perfection according to whom. And we do this with people. We do this with all sorts of different things and and all around us we have this 
idea of what is the the perfect or the normal version and and anything outside of that is less than yeah and yet there's such a few just such a small percentage that actually qualifies as perfection. So right. how can that be? But we, yeah. like, in a, in a weird way, it's like, yeah, like why is that perfection? That, <laughs> that's actually the yeah. oddity of that particular thing that it's so perfect. Apparently, we, we may want to get into dog breeding at some point on this, oh, this season. Yeah, but it's a well, yeah. no, but it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting mindset. It's a different way of seeing the world, and and yet, as you're saying, there's this. Th- there's this standard that we establish. Of course, we human beings manipulated the dogs yeah. to breed them into certain things. So, like, it, is it naturally right. the perfect thing, or is it the perfect thing according to our yeah. uh, version of it? I yeah, I don't know. I you know. Anyway, but, sorry. But no, no, it's a, it's a perfect example because the same thing is true with these food laws. You're saying, well, this is just this is just gross. Yeah. And and part of it is, uh, is, uh, is is that in fact the idea that we have in fact these dietary laws that come to us and we think that it's rational we think there's some spiritual reason but really what it is is that we are just kind of grossed out by it yeah we'll get more to that in a second but just to kind of give you the 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 narrative of what people have said so first you had mary douglas that it's about things being out of place so you don't have you don't have different kinds of linen together. You don't have an animal that's that's weird. You know, a platypus was not known to these fine people, but they probably would have thought, "Don't eat that." A, a, a platypus would be unclean because it's queer. It's 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 got uh, venom and a duck bill, and it swims, and it, who knows what this thing is? Those kind of things, according to Mary Douglas, wouldn't work. Most scholars, most biblical scholars, anthropologists, have come to reject Mary Douglas for not having enough empirical. Um, support, mm. right? So this is a this is a hypothesis, an interesting hypothesis, but hasn't really been verifiable. Along comes Marvin Harris. Uh, he was a materialist anthropologist who said that basically these food aversions have to do with environmental factors. Now, when we say there, there's this materialist, he's trying to focus on the external world rather than our inner psychology or religious you know, values or ideology. It it really is this idea that the religion's going to just kind of endorse whatever natural stuff was going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll I'll get to some of the ways in which this makes sense. But pigs don't sweat, just like dogs. Pigs need some mud to get into. And one of the things we find about the ancient Near East and, and really society in general is desertification. So a lot of these places that were a little bit more... Uh, moist and tropical start to change and they become more arid. Mm -hmm. And so um, the places that remain a little bit cooler, a little bit more mountainous and a little bit more moist, like parts of China, you still see a lot of pork. Mm. We had a lot of pork when we were in China, right? Like that, that was far more common to have little pieces of pork in your, in your noodles than, um, than beef. Well, and isn't it true? I mean, with the, the pigs, they eat the scraps, right? So, Mm -hmm. That's a helpful thing when yes. you're trying to feed, you know, animals and things like that, right? Well, it's- that's the weird thing. We, 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 if we look at it from different angles, pork is some of the best food for us to use as human beings in that, um, yeah, it, it, it takes like a hundred pounds of feed will get you 20 pounds of pork. 
100 pounds of feed will get you seven pounds of, of, um, of beef. Mm. So at an environmental level, even if you're just feeding on the same basic crops, it's the same. But unlike cows, pigs are a little bit more um, adaptable to mm. variety of food. So you can feed scraps and things that uh, might not, you might not need to have large farms for fodder, right? So when you have cows, sometimes you have to get a whole bunch of buckwheat and yeah. you're not using that for people. You're growing all that food and then it goes to the cow and then you transport the cow. And, you know, so in, at a sustainability level, pork is, <laughs> Which, it, by the is way, uh, better. <laughs> a little side note. I used to think that pork was unclean because they ate scraps and they got dirty right. and rolled in the mud. <laughs> not not well, like they actually like physically, you know, yeah. seemed unclean. Well, not... you no, know, that's, that's a thing for a lot of people. So a lot of the foods that are unclean do... Uh, and sorry, there, you might hear some uh, truck P- people in uh, Oregon. They have very loud pickup trucks. They do. At I don't least, know. At least in this town, maybe the catalytic converter question from so like California has these emission laws that are a little bit more strict when it comes to uh, the catalytic converter and I don't know the muffling. Who knows? Uh, but uh, do forgive it. Uh, but but no, um, in their natural environment, pigs are not that dirty. Uh, mm-hmm. They they might look dirty, but all they're doing is they're just giving themselves sunscreen, just kind of well, like they don't um, have hair in the same way that like say other animals fur. do. The fur, yeah, yeah. like a, like an elephant, they get the mud, and then that's the sunscreen, and uh, that's good. Yeah. But the point being, for for Harris, the idea is that things became prohibited when they no longer worked within that region. So as you shift to more of the agricultural revolution. Um, you you have larger farms, you have different kinds of livestock. Mm-hmm. But for a small village, pork's pretty good. There's also um, the the nutritional content like that you can pack in that smaller space. Mm. It's pretty pretty amazing. And uh, when in uh, domestication, pigs will have lots of like litter, so you'll have a whole bunch of piglets. So you you know you see all around the world in these markets, you have like little piglets hanging up in the window, you can have that constantly going. And so it doesn't require as much, um, space. And, and so we'll come back to that in a second. Uh, so, but, but again, Harris, this is very ideological. He's, he's really kind of emphasizing something that's going on in anthropology at the time. I shift more towards, um, I, I would I would argue there is kind of a Marxist element of it to try to understand economic and, and environmental factors in anthropology. I don't know enough about the history of anthropology to know uh, how strong that was in general, but it certainly was strong in terms of what people were researching about Old Testament f- and 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 uh, Islamic food laws, dietary laws, relating them more towards economic and cultural. Uh, issues of that region, of that area. Then along comes uh, Jacob Milgram, and he focuses on the separation from neighboring nations. I find that to be a pretty strong um, uh, context for this. Uh, Basically, what he's saying is, if, um, if if you're saying, we are these people, and we are not those people, it didn't really matter what you were eating. It was just the difference. It was the us and them, right? So the People in the Holy Land, the people in uh, the promised land for the Israelites, as these people go into this space, they're encountering people that have different diets. So just don't do those things that they do. That's pretty common, right? They have tattoos. We won't have tattoos. They don't have circumcision. We will have circumcision. So it's a way of marking yourself out. And marking yourself out is really effective in helping people 
uh, especially young people, to find solidarity and to avoid assimilation, especially assimilation into a culture that you, that you dislike. So, for instance, if you think about, let's say, uh, Rastafarian dreadlocks. I was reading a book recently from a, from a journalist who traveled around to try to understand the Rastafarians. And the thing about the Rastafarians is that you can't go and get a systematic theology on Rastafarianism. You can't mm. just go online and, and find out, you know, all the right answers because what they do is they sit around and they reason together. Mm. And so the Rasta men, they get together and women and they get together and they, and they, they talk theology together and philosophy and, and politics and they don't all agree. Mm. So, so, you know, you don't always know what the official teaching is on this or that issue. But I think one thing that was really clear from this book is that the, there, there was a one case in which a guy, he was looking back at his life and he said he had one regret. And that he, he regretted cutting his dreadlocks for a job. Mm. And it took away his power like Samson. Like mm-hmm. it took away his spiritual power. And this is, I want you friends to think about it this way. Totally true. I shouldn't get dreadlocks and and probably you shouldn't get dreadlocks to listener. Um, Especially if you're a white dude. Like I think, I think it's, it's, uh, it's weird because uh, dreadlocks were not only Jamaican or African or whatever. Dreadlocks uh, you'll find in uh, Hinduism, Mm -hmm. you know, um, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the yogis, that that do teach yoga and uh, sit there by the Ganges. They've got they smoke weed and and have uh, uh, dreadlocks. Mm-hmm. They're not Jamaicans. <laughs> They're a different thing. And so, you know, there's this guy James Mallinson who studies yoga. He goes out. He gets dreadlocks not because he's trying to be a, uh, a Rasta, but because he is induct- inducted into this group, mm. uh, honorary yogi within that you know group. And so, um. So leave that for another time. But the point being... Well, I will say, yeah. so how you choose your appearance, right? Because yeah. you mentioned cutting cutting the hair for the job. And and, yeah. and I remember when our son Augie worked at Hotel Irvine, like they had, you know, very strict appearance uh, rules and things. And right. once his hair would start to get a little too long, he'd get the little nudge from the manager, time to cut your hair, mm-hmm. you know, and you have, you have to do that. And obviously, you know... Absolutely, you know, part of the dress code: no earrings, no, you know, mm-hmm. so many things, no showing tattoos and all these things. Because in. Hotel Irvine was owned by Irvine, right? And that, and that was the look that they wanted the Irvine Company yeah. to portray. And so, you know, there, no doubt, like take a look at, you know, what businesses you're going to, and what is the look that, you know, there. That's not just usually insignificant things that they're trying, you know, to, yes, it, it, yes, this is important. We go like, well, who cares what you're eating? Like, it doesn't really matter. Like it doesn't matter in one sense and it really matters in another sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Augie cutting his hair said something. He was being submissive to that authority. Right. And eventually he realized, no, I want to go work at Puesto. <laughs> going right. to go to a different place where they'll let me tie my hair back, but I can have my hair and I could have a piercing if I wanted. And then funny enough, <laughs> he chose on his own to cut his hair, <laughs> you know, at some point, you know, so like, but that's the idea too. It's the choice of the matter a lot of times. But for this, but the thing about this guy, he, and when he felt, this is the one time he sent like this great sin in his life, I could totally feel it. Whereas what I'm saying is 
people who are listening don't have to grow dreadlocks. But if you have dreadlocks and you believe that cutting them is a denunciation of your faith Mm -hmm. so that you could get a job, then it's a sin. Right, like, it, yeah, that's it's a sin for you, mm-hmm. right? So if cutting your hair is symbolically saying, I am, I am leaving behind my old values and I'm going to adopt these other values for a job, that might be a sin, right? right? Yeah, I mean, if it goes against what you definitely what you believe. believe, yes. Yes, so that's kind of the deal, that's kind of the deal here with, with, the, uh, with the dietary laws. Like, I think in some, in some cosmic sense... There is, this is, this is what I'm thinking. <laughs> I don't believe there's an old man in the sky that's going to send you to a bad place because you eat the wrong food. Right. Like I just, eating a ham and cheese sandwich um, is not on a technicality going to get you polluted and you're going to be out, out of the kingdom because of that. Well, I, I hope so because I have enjoyed many yes, ham and cheese sandwiches. sandwiches. <laughs> right, right. So, but... Um, but it's kind of, well, it's kind of like the unforgivable sin though. But once you're made aware of something, once you understand what's behind this, then it could be a sin, right? In the sense that you're saying, oh, this is like this evil company that's exploiting its workers. Mm -hmm. It's destroying the environment. It's cruel to the pigs that it's slaughtering. Then in a certain sense, no, you're actually sinning by having that particular. Yes. I totally (laughs) understand that, right? right? The other thing that's interesting is, is, is to think of, you know, I think, one area that I don't know if enough research is done in, um, but is when there are those terrible conditions, what sort of uh, hormones and things come about because of the stress? And, and what would that possibly even mm. do, you know, to when you put that in your body to add to your mix? You know? all, all I know is the only pork that I miss really right now is that beautiful pork from the farm, which was primarily a vegan place, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the farm in Tennessee former cult that we visited and still have a, a delightful and they uh, don't allow any of. animals to be raised for slaughter, slaughter on, on the, the property if you if you join their intentional community you can eat meat but you cannot slaughter the meat there but they did have at their farmer's market one uh, ethical butcher that had uh, some some locally raised pork and it was a different it was just a different thing yeah and I think that's that's part yeah. of it. I some people say, "Well, why are you doing this? We're not trying to convince you, not trying to convert you to something. We're not trying to be holier than you." I have just developed a taste buds that love fresh foods that we're eating, and also, even if it's just my own inner psychology, I don't like to taste the pain. Yeah. So you might not like the taste of pistachios, friend. That's fine. I'm not judging. I'm not judging you. I love pistachios, and uh, just I'm asking you to to go easy on uh, Jeff and Stacy here for not liking the taste of pain. Even, you know, even if it's animals, they don't deserve rights or something in your mind. I don't, I don't, whatever. Uh, for me, um, that's just not where I'm at right now. It's just yeah. not fun. And I think it's also just kind of seeing things. So I, I, I will eat fish if I catch it, but I don't like doing it all the time because it's hard even for me. Like I, I'm surprised at myself. I don't know why I'm becoming such a softy, but it's, becoming harder for me to execute the fish. And then we also got, we said to your sister, I am going to try this because one of the most sustainable ways to eat non-kosher item, by the way, uh, on this topic is crawfish. We realized right by where we're going to be camping for the next week, 
uh, there's this river and there's all these little spots where you can pull over by the river uh, for free. And then there's like some really low cost camping sites all along the, the river. And there's these big, invasive, beautiful red little lobster babies that are running up and down, right? The crawfish. The crawfish. So they're invasive species. So it's good for the environment to get them out of there. Mm-hmm. I can take without a license. I've got this, this, we'll see how it goes, friends. I've got this <laughs> net that I can throw out in, in the river overnight. When I wake up in the morning, I can take a hundred uh, specimens and then I can, I can freeze them in the, I, I'll, you know, boil them up and I'll freeze them. And then I'll always have, whenever I'm just like kind of feeling like, man, I, I don't know, in, in my head or my body, I need a little bit more animal protein. Mm-hmm. I'll have this stuff that is not, it's the opposite of unsustainable. It's more than sustainable yeah. in that you're, you know, if, if more of us kind of got into that, hey, like, what are these things that we need to get rid of? I think that, especially for those of you who can't get rid of your, uh, your, your love of animal protein, there are certain kind of animals that might be really great to be eating as a society instead of creating more problems. There are invasive pigs. You know, I mean, this, this is the thing that I would do. People probably like are laughing at us, right? Like, so Jeff is basically gone vegan with the, with a few um, executions of oysters and, and uh, crustaceans on occasion. Um, and yet, uh, I would eat cats if you're eating in an ethic, if you're killing an, and, and just, and killing in an ethical way, feral cats in Australia that are killing local species. Cause it need like for the sake of the balance of the environment, certain places, you just need to, these are invasive mammals sometimes. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't want to do it forever. I think I heard somewhere that PETA killed like 30,000 dogs a year. I'll eat that if I need to, although I'm kind of like not, I'm enjoying the plant-based foods for my health too. Yeah. But what I'm saying is it's kind of interesting that, we at a at a at a at a level of of ethics mm-hmm. often are totally irrational. Yes, right. Like we'll, we'll feeling like, like I, but being you know very 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 clear about how we yes or no to certain things. But yet, like you said, it, it sounds super ethical or unethical. Yes. Yet. It's all over the map. If you said, like, oh, like, Mountain's a vegan, but sometimes he eats dog. I'm saying if, like, I'll eat roadkill. I'll eat, like, like if there's protein, I want to conserve it, right? Mm-hmm. So whatever I can do to be as minimally uh, problematic for the environment, like, if that's great, right? Mm-hmm. So if you've got a bunch of crawfish that we need to get rid of out of the, out of the rivers because they're, they're causing a problem for the Chinook or something, I don't know if they are or not, but the point being, um, that's great, and it's cheap, and it's free, and uh, it's cheap. Well, it's, it's free. There's no license you even need. So if people want to give that a shot and friends, if you live near a waterway where you can get some crawdads, I bet you might not have even a thought about it because, boy, those are tasty. Mm. And uh, I love finding something like that. So we'll see how it goes. Interestingly, though, not good for you. Like, they're unclean. Why? Mm. They're bottom feeders. Yeah. yeah. But what I'm kind of finding interesting is the things that I'm liking right now are these bottom feeders like oysters and... and um, and uh, the crawfish that actually also purify the water. They're clearing out the algae and, and that sort of thing. And then thing. they don't pass that yeah, on to uh, you. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a few there's a few things. But no, like generally speaking, like it's pretty amazing that the oysters are gonna clarify the bay and the and the crawfish are gonna be eating up some of the gunk on the thing. And so like it's it's there's a little bit of balance there, but because of that, a lot of people also see, oh, these are disgusting, rip, gross creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the word is that 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 there were all, especially in New England, prisoners 
when they were fed lobster, complained that that was a, a cruel and unusual punishment, being made to eat these, these cockroaches from the sea. When you think about it, you know, mussels are disgusting. Like, you know, I love mussels, but mm-hmm. like, I can see why people think they're disgusting. I can see why people think that crabs are disgusting. They're these big, giant bugs walking on the bottom of the ocean eating dead whales, and we're going to eat that? Well, some people said no, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. One of the things I'm curious about is tilapia because I do think that yes. it sometimes does transfer some of. Well, fish are, you know, fish are interesting and uh, we'll, I have to do some more research yeah. to, to know. But I mean, uh, t- tilapia, it's part, partly farm fish. So I think we should look at that as a different uh, topic because uh, farm fish take a lot of these toxins in them and the larger the fish, the 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 worst but like sometimes ta- tilapia they're just eating poop like they they they, they well, raise those they're really it was the only hardy. fish that grew in the salton sea yes <laughs> oh yeah even though there was just like the fish whole bones everywhere. the whole Beach shore was. was dead fish but yeah. they still lived out there they're pretty resilient yeah but but uh oysters for some reason gonna process that better mm-hmm. for you than the tilapia in any case tilapia I guess would be kosher. I'll leave that to the rabbis. All right, so we're almost done with like kind of the basic theories and see what you think. Then, uh, and I think this will be my last theorist here, uh, Jordan uh, Rosenblum, I mentioned him, but he basically breaks it into three categories as you go from the, the, the Hebrew Bible then into the, to the rest of the conversation with Christians and so forth, uh, and then later rabbis. Um, he says, you've got reason, revelation, and analogy. So reason is where you're trying to give a psychological explanation, some kind of rationale, right? Uh, and this is what I always heard growing up. Pork is prohibited because of trichinosis. The Bible prohibits shellfish because you can die from that. And you can, right? Like if you don't treat shellfish right, it's going to be bad. And you don't have a lot of time. Like if you get a Dungeness crab and it dies in your bucket, you can't wait as long with that as you might be able to wait uh, with a fish in your Mm -hmm. bucket. Mm -hmm. So in the ancient world, it's totally possible that somebody died from some shellfish and then people said, okay, let's not do that. Right. Right. So that's, that's totally true. So that's, that's a, the dietary possibility. Um, But, uh, but at the same time, as we really look at them, there's inconsistencies because you can get trichinosis from, from other livestock as well. So why would this be mm-hmm. singled mm-hmm. out? You know, um, Then there's revelation. And revelation is a pretty strong one. Just God says. God says this is no good. <laughs> and in many cases, religions just have their own thing. Right. You know, we wear the color blue. It, it almost doesn't matter. It's just something that is like your team colors, your team logo, your totemic animals, and then your forbidden animals. Um, sometimes, it ha- it, sometimes it does have to do with the, the animals of other cultures. Mm. Um, we're not quite sure, uh, and I'll, I'll have to, maybe this will be a separate thing, why don't we eat horse? But in yeah, Europe, don't eat a lot of horse in England, but it may be that that was tied to Celtic pagan practice. Either the veneration of the horse, just like Hindus venerate the, the cow. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely this idea that the Druids, the ancient uh, people of uh, Britannia, uh, the, the British Isles, were um, they had some special relationship with horses. Mm-hmm. Either that meant that they ate them, and so therefore the Christians were going to avoid that, or they didn't eat them because they were holy, but there was some kind of totemic relationship there with horses. Well, and it also seems like all, all of the animals that live closely with us are often the ones that we don't, we, we don't often eat. like to eat our pets. Yeah, right. And 
what horses have always been a great service to humans. Obviously, they were our, mo- our mode of transportation yes. for many yeah. years. And if you started eating people's horses, you know, that would probably be very problematic. But it makes it a lot easier if God just says you can eat horse, you can not eat horses and eat. The- it just it'd be nice if yeah. the Bible would just tell you or whatever your, your sacred text is. And then. Finally, you have this idea of analogy, and analogy really becomes important for the Christians, because ultimately Christians don't know what to do with it, Mm. and so they keep some laws and they get rid of others, right? And I know it's like people get all upset about it and say this doesn't, they're not the same kind of thing, Um, sexuality, long hair, like gender roles in the um, animals that you eat, Mm -hmm. they're different. Mm. Well... uh, I know that there's a long argument that your seminary probably told you this if you're a pastor listening, but there is something interesting about this idea that there are things that are abominable about sexuality and gender in the Old Testament. Pretty close to other passages that say, you know, wearing these two cloths together is an abomination. But basically, you know, having your hair the wrong length or having a tattoo or... Um, or or whatever, you know, like just having these different, um, uh, like kind of concepts related to gender or menstruation or whatever. We don't care about that anymore in mm-hmm. Christianity. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't, well, we care about some of the gender roles, but we don't care about like lobster. Christians eat lobster. They believe in the Old Testament, but they'll mm-hmm. eat lobster. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't follow that anymore. That's been abrogated. Well, it's been abrogated in the New Testament in, in, uh, in Acts. So mm. that's part of, you know, uh, part of it where Peter is told, no, you can eat these animals now. Right. So these animals are now clean. Well, how did he get there? Because of revelation, right? God had to say mm. it. Mm. But God doesn't come down and say, it's okay to be gay. It's okay for women to have different roles. And like, you know, like in that context. So you don't have an explicit, what we call abrogation of the older teaching. And yet it is interesting that it's pretty important. Your diet in the Old Testament is pretty important and it becomes not important for Christians. What they do typically, especially the Greek-influenced Christians, is they interpret it using analogy. So um, that there's something symbolic about lobster, Mm -hmm. something symbolic about a pig, rather than uh, something that God really essentially cares about. It's not like a... um, uh, a universal prohibition ethically. Now, one of the weirdest things about all of the uh, all of the dietary laws is this odd, uh, repeated concern about boiling a kid in its mother's milk. It's just weird to think about, but the idea is, hey kids, uh, kids, uh, <laughs> hey people, don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. That just seems pagan and weird and 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 kind of cruel. Yeah. You know, like so this is in Exodus twenty three nineteen, Exodus thirty four twenty six, and Deuteronomy fourteen twenty one. And yet nobody really cares about the feelings of the animal. So in one mm. sense it seems like why would you do that? You're also not allowed to to scare away the mama bird and then steal her baby eggs. Hmm. Um uh, there's like these different kinds of uh, concerns, but let's just focus on the, the boiling a kid in his mother's milk. Uh, Philo of Alexandria was a Jewish Neoplatonist, and he, he says, hey, this is an, this is a, there's a humanitarian explanation. It's, it's, it's just a, a cruel kind of bully type thing to do, you know. Um, but in the 12th century, uh, there was a rabbi, Rabbi Joseph ben Isaac Bekhor Shor, of Orléans, uh, he he believed that the phrase 
uh, was totally misunderstood and mistranslated. Hmm. Uh, He said that it should say uh, you should sacrifice the kid before it's weaned from its mother's milk. In other words, it's just a translation problem. It is about the mother's milk. But the idea is if you're going to sacrifice the firstborn, don't wait too long. Just do it immediately, Mm -hmm. you know, or do it, do it early on. That's a totally different interpretation. Yeah. A scholar named Carmichael points out that there's this idea, uh, there's a confusion of life and death. So you don't kill the thing and then have life. So that, that kind of goes back a little bit more to the Douglas thesis of things being out of place, mismatched. Mm -hmm. A scholar named Knopf um, identifies essentially the tabooized mother animal with the goddesses Anat and Ashtart. So uh, so seeing a pagan theme, I think that makes a lot of sense. We just don't have any strong evidence that, that can confirm that. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, Augustine of Hippo and then later Martin Luther, as they're translating this, actually have an interesting angle on it. And it says, or their versions basically, um, don't, don't uh, eat or kill and, and, and eat the goat, baby goat, when it is in the milk of his mother, in the milk of his mother, essentially meaning when it's still when it's still nursing. Mm. Wait till it's done nursing before you you kill it, mm. right? Um, and this uh, scholar Stefan Schorsch uh, also agrees with that, which is he's a c- contemporary or more modern commentator. But notice, like these are very different things. Yeah, do eat it, don't eat it. Like it could be one or the other, right? right. It could be it could be uh, related to. It could be related to paganism, but sometimes we just, it's lost to us. And that's really what a taboo is. It's, it's something that, that no longer carries with it is justification. Um, one of the things in my research, though, when it comes to the, the pork business, go back to the pork. The, the, I think the goat thing is probably lost to us because mm. it is either paganism or it's just a misunderstanding of the translation. I, I think it's probably the ancient Hebrew that's tricking people and, um, so we just don't know. But ultimately, this is so important for Orthodox Jews that they'll sometimes have different dishware, right? So this is the dish. These are the dishes we're going to use when we have cheese in our dish. Mm-hmm. We might have like a cheesy pasta. And then over here, these are the dishes we're going to use when we have meat. But you don't have meat and cheese at the same time, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So if you go get like you go to a Jewish deli, sometimes you're like, oh, this is interesting. How, why are we, why are we eating a lot of uh, like like a sauerkraut on this one or something. Gotcha. You know, it's gotcha. because you're not putting the cheese on the meat. You know, you're mixing yeah. it up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh, Jewish deli is great, by the way. So um, it, is, it is just interesting to me, though, that in all of this, I tend to like an explanation I haven't fully teased out yet, which is the political explanation. When I say the political explanation, there are really kind of two political explanations, and they both kind of connect to my interest in, in biblical and Taoist anarchy. And so let's just go back to the pig. I totally see this. In one sense, um, one sense, pork was the first thing I didn't want to eat because little, I've seen little pigs on the farm. Like they are very smart. They're like smart as dogs, sometimes smarter than dogs. They've got personalities. Um, I just, when I see the piglet, I'm like, mm, I can't, I, that's, I can't do that. Right. And and yet there is something really empowering about pork. Mm. Okay. At, at a at a cultural level. I already told you about the the cost savings, the environmental savings. Right, right, right. Um in terms of how much nutrient density you've got. Mm-hmm. And you can use, you know, 
you can use all parts of the pig. It, it's something that a, that a family could raise. And, and, and I, I saw this when I was in Guatemala. I, I said, like, I, I really felt, I felt pretty good about the pork in, in Guatemala because you had these families that very rarely would eat meat. I mean, I think people don't realize, especially in the developed West, how, how yes, there's meat eating, but it's not that constant. We as a culture, our real problem is our hyper-dependence on maybe inefficient meat, right? Mm-hmm. So our deal is we've got one big steak and a little bit of vegetables on the side. You yeah. just mix that up. Yeah, usually when we're thinking of a meal, it's like, okay, what is the meat first? Yes. And then what sides do we put with it? Right? Most of our international travel has shown us that, especially in China, yeah, there's going to be pork in there and it kind of helps, but mostly it's bok choy and mm-hmm. it's noodles Well, and, there's and usually... then a little tiny ground up meat in there. You're going to kill an animal and you parcel that out to mm-hmm. many individuals or you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it's something that you then include in, in your dishes at that right. time, but right. it's not it's not a constant thing. Right. Where we in the West, we have just constant spoilage where we've got all this meat piled up in our fridges and like that's what we eat. That's like our main thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's not necessarily the best for our body, not necessarily best for the environment. But who cares about that right now? I'm trying to figure out the religious <laughs> aspect of it and the political aspect of it. The pork for these, these Guatemalan families was amazing because they had... They had masa. They had their they had their tortillas that they can make, and they had some beans that they were growing. They could survive a lot of the year on plant based diets that were very filling. Mm-hmm. And you don't you don't feel like oh I'm a vegan I'm like tired and, and <laughs> no like it's it's good stuff right it's powerful. And then on regular occasions you slaughter the pig, and you and you have a period of time where you're eat, you're feasting. Right. Mm-hmm. Ancient people did this. This is pretty common. It was upper class people, rich people, powerful people might eat pork as a sign that they can. Right. This is why there's a lot of gout, you know, for uh, kings, for instance, in the Middle Ages. Kings were eating all the meat. Peasants weren't even allowed to uh, hunt the, the king's pork. Peasants might eat fish, but they ate a lot of uh, 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 grains mm-hmm. and vegetables and tubers uh, in, in like medieval Europe. Well, in the biblical times, people very rarely ate meat. Most of the time they were eating uh, plants and then there was fish. So when you think about the Bible, it's not like they're eating these foods all the time. And then they would have a sacrifice Mm -hmm. and that sacrifice is connecting them to the God. So you're having somebody over, right? So God shows up if a... You know, like the the prodigal son, I'm going to kill the fattened calf. Yes, yes. So you kill the fattened calf. It's a celebration. Right, because the sun arrived, but it's not something you're doing all the time. All right, right. so that, that's that's I think an important piece. But and here's the key. So let me let, the one angle is, if you have pork, this means that the family unit and the local village is empowered. When we think about the Tao Te Ching, we think about these Chinese villages where there's 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 the chickens and the pigs just kind of running around. And it's not this massive farming. It's not factory farming. It's localized. It's not the empire. It's the village and it's the family. Mm -hmm. And then you think about oppressive people. You think about when I was in Cuba, this guy going to jail for seven years because he was raising chickens. Mm. It's a great way to to feed your family when people, especially in the 90s, when they were eating their shoes because the Soviets ran out of, the Soviets stopped sending them money because the Soviets stopped existing. And so they had the chicken, but it was, they were not allowed to have it because raising your own livestock on your own homestead is empowering. So friends, 
I do not have an, I do not believe it is absolutely prohibited to human beings to eat animals. I think we should be as ethical as we can, be as kind and compassionate to the animals. We should uh, love them and thank them just as our ancestors did when they would hunt. And I believe that it is perfectly, uh, perfectly acceptable uh, to, to include that in your diet. And usually a really good idea if you don't have the ability or the resources to eat a vegan diet diet. Cause really we found that veganism makes a lot of sense. If you're in a highly affluent, you know, there's kind of more college options. Town. There's more options with, you know, a variety of different fruits and vegetables that come your way. Yeah. Uh, you anybody can do it, but it's just there's easier in some places than others. There's, yeah. There's smaller towns or in the middle of the country. Sometimes when you go in, I mean, it's harder to find some of the, you can the get fresh, a salad, even any of the fresh stuff yeah. though. You know what I mean? Like it's limited. It's yeah. very limited, which is surprising. And mm-hmm. a bummer because, you know, you'd think you go into a small town and like everybody's eating the farmer's market. There's more farmer's markets sometimes in, in the urban areas. But, you know. The other thing I've noticed is that for me, what was a game changer was going to a vegan restaurant and having them show me what can be done <laughs> with vegan food. But that right. isn't. But those restaurants don't exist you know, everywhere either. Mm-hmm. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, for it, for me, that was like all of a sudden my eyes opened up to all these possibilities and I know it's in cookbooks and things like that, but it's sometimes really mm-hmm. hard without sort of having that example uh, to really sort of then start to explore and, and then understand mm-hmm. all of the possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, region matters and, and, and back to like the Guatemalans, for me to say to them, no, don't eat meat, just eat monoculture, factory-farmed grains, mm-hmm. enslaves them to the system that in many ways Americans are enslaved to, mm. right? They're, these Guatemalans were poorer, but they had a little bit more fun at dinner because they ate real food that mm-hmm. they had grown themselves and they were empowered in that way. Um, and yeah, they didn't make a lot of money at their jobs, but they grew their own food. Right. So the money is for extra stuff. Whereas for us, a lot of times we're trying to put food on the table and who's making the food. Well, it's less than nutritious and it's bad for the environment. Right. So when you have just whole parts of America, um, you know, just going to factory farming of any kind Mm -hmm. and you're dependent on that. And then we are seeing right now inflation with Mm -hmm. respect to food Mm -hmm. and people's food insecurity. You, You know, when it comes to people being disempowered and their children being malnourished and sad. Mm-hmm. I wish that every family had a pig in their backyard yes. and they treated it well. And then on a rare occasion, you know, like they, they, I, I would say that's better than everybody going vegan yet being beholden to the big corporations and Monsanto that have, you know, basically taken over the family farms yeah. and turned them into these corporations, corporate farms. Right. That's, this is not a right-left thing. This is like the hard-working Republican grandpa whose farm's getting taken over by these corporations and the food's less healthy for us and worse for the environment and it's destroying native populations. One of the things we saw in, uh, in um, Honduras was the farming practices were starting to destroy some of the possibilities for ecotourism. You know, and I was mm-hmm. trying to encourage the locals in, in Honduras to say, hey, you can get Americans' money down here if you... If you keep these habitats where bird watchers can come. But my point being, some have argued, and I really find this to be a compelling and interesting hypothesis, that the reason the the ancient Near East was against pork is it was against these autonomous um, people living apart 
from the uh, great civilization. Right. Now, how does this come into the Bible? Well, this is kind of the interesting piece, and it has to do with um, with Moses. Okay, so so go with me for just a, a second here. Do you know what what the tradition says Moses did? Like he was a baby, right? He got found. He was he was yes. a baby that was in the river. abandoned, mm-hmm. but he got adopted, and then he became an official. He was in charge of the slaves, right? Well, he was in charge. He was an official in the palace in Egypt, right? And then he killed a guy who was beating a slave, oh. and then and so then he 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 says, oh, "Wait a minute, I can't allow these oppressed people." To be this way, I'm going to lead them out. So at first, he's part of the system, and then mm-hmm. he realizes the system is wicked. He goes away, and then he comes back, and he he's the liberator of the system. Right. Okay, but this is the thing in terms of the history of religions. You're going to have to, if you're a Christian, you have to kind of back out of this just a moment as an insider, but come come as like a, a historian of religion. There is some uh, belief amongst scholars generally that Moses is influenced as he's writing out the the laws, right, the Mosaic law is influenced by Egyptian law. So if Egyptians, the argument goes, if Egyptians were against pork, it's because pork represented something that that the people, especially the poor peasant people, the lower class people, the slaves, that they were able to have and not be dependent on the system. And it was a threat to the system. And going back to the environmental context, it was increasingly difficult for that to be the predominant livestock in the Nile Delta. It was a time when it worked, um, even with hippopotamuses and so forth, there, there's a time in which that, that starts to change with, I was saying, desertification. The idea, though, being the rejection of pork in that sense is a rejection of people's freedom. Mm. It's like... No, you've got to buy spam, right. but you can't have your own pig, right? It, it's the exact same thing with Cuba. You're not allowed to grow. You can eat chicken, but you can't have your own chicken. And chicken's associated with peasants making their own food, okay? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, so that's, that's, that's the one angle. On the other hand, the re- prohibition of pork could be political because it's opposing these dominator societies, right? Mm. Um, I'm sorry, um, the dominator society like Rome mm-hmm. that actually had pork. Right. So in each context, pork might mean anarchy or it might mean to resist pork is to be an anarchist yeah. in the in the spiritual sense. Does that, does that make yeah, sense? It totally does. Yeah. Again, if Rome is imposing pork on you, then refusing to eat pork means you're free from the empire. Right. If... Eating pork means you're eating something that the empire doesn't want you to have. Like my ancestors were poachers in, in Huddersfield, England. They, they, would, they would kill the king's deer and the king's pigs, and they're not allowed to. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to have that. Right. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of that. And in many cases in Egypt, for whatever, whatever else we want to say, pork is associated with the lower classes. So it's disgusting because it's what the poor people eat. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Right. Kind of like today. Well, and it's you not, know, ex- yeah. like you said, because what they eat, it's not expensive in the mm-hmm. same way to raise them. Right. A lot of the foods like menudo and things that are associated with poor immigrant families in America are simply just foods that people have had to make make really creative dishes out of mm-hmm. because they couldn't just have the filet mignon every day. And so often... Uh, wealthy, affluent people have more boring diets. I mean, this is this is absolutely the case. The reason we love going to ethnic food restaurants uh, historically in our in our lives is because 
we are impressed by the ways in which people are taking greens or, or animals and, and uh, using organ meats and things that, uh, that people find disgusting right. in the affluent West, you know. Um, in any case, so uh, interestingly, by the way, one of the things is weird about the Hebrew Bible is Noah in the story of Noah's Ark, when he's you know getting the animals, there's there's part of it where they're 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 saying there's clean animals and unclean animals, uh-huh. and so you want to have seven clean animals, maybe <clears throat> so that you can eat them because mm-hmm. you're not going to eat the pigs, so you only need two pigs, but you need you know all these other animals. Um, in any case. Before before I end my little mini lecture on this, I do I do want to talk about the Islamic side of things, and we're going to talk about halal at a different time. But I'm I'm interested in the pork piece. Um, the the Quran itself also tends to be kind of drawing on or 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 speaking to primarily an urban um, merchant culture, as opposed to either. Um, a nomadic uh, farming culture, or um, uh, or or to a, a peasant culture, okay. although they're included in in the Quran. Now, um, one thing that makes sense to me, oh, about the uh, the anarchy piece, is one of the things I think is really fascinating about the the story of Abraham. There goes a big, big old uh, old uh, RV. Uh, <laughs> seems like everybody's vehicles are louder up here. I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, if you are believing this idea that I, I, I tend to uh, find very compelling, that Abraham leaves Ur of the Chaldees, he's leaving civilization to reject it. It's an anarchist kind of move. When he does this, how does the family unit survive opposing empire? Well, through shepherding. Because mm. as you're a nomad, you can take, you can be wandering and you could take your cows, you can take your sheep with they you. They can graze. You can't really do this with pigs. Mm. So pigs are more uh, for sedentary life. Gotcha. So historically, the... Well, that would also then make sense for the Bible. Yes. Because they were, that way they were called out, right? Of right. Of Egypt. And so... So think about it for us, right? Yeah. We, if we want to be nomads in this beautiful uh, RV truck camper that we're living in right now, uh, we wouldn't be able to raise our own pork, but what we could do is eat crawdads mm-hmm. as we travel from site to site and anytime we're at a waterway. Right. So point being, our ancestors, I'm sorry, our descendants might someday say, good people eat crawdads and bad people eat pork for these relative cultural reasons, hmm. right? Like, because in their minds, the good society is one that is not tied to large, like, cookie-cutter mansions. Right. So if you're living in that, you can, you know, Sedentary whatever. versus I'm not, nomadic. I'm making, this may be a little facile, maybe a little easy, but that's the point, right? Where the idea would be politically to have a pig means that you're settling in. Mm-hmm. And if you're supposed to not settle in, or if you're not supposed to settle in yet, or you're supposed to not be about civilization and cities, then you're going to have a different kind of diet. Interesting, yeah. yeah. But but so, but so for uh, Islam, therefore, um, you've got a similar thing, though, in that um, that you're speaking to the cities. But here's, here's the thing I find interesting. There's some indication that perhaps the reason that, that Islam brings back the pork prohibition is to reject or to differentiate itself from Christianity. Mm. So you've got this idea that in some ways... You've got Christianity being a sect 
that breaks away from Judaism and then Islam being a sect that breaks away from Christianity. There's some ways in which this is true. Mm. There, it's very controversial, of course, because the Quran is supposed to be di- directly dictated by God, Allah to Muhammad. I am not a Muslim, so I'm not trying to be offensive. I just I don't believe that. Therefore, I'm open to the idea that Muhammad was influenced by Jews and Christians and Nestorian Christians and Aryan. A, uh, Aryans are, um, they don't believe that Jesus was fully God Christian. Mm. So mm-hmm. Muhammad says, hey, Jesus is a great prophet. Well, who else said that? The Aryans. So he may have been influenced by this. In any case, to differentiate themselves from the Christians at the time, mm-hmm. the Muslims brought back the emphasis on the dietary laws that are in the Hebrew Bible, but now in a different context. I think that's what's going on. What do they care about? Just like in the Old Testament, uh, no blood. Don't that that's a really big one. The the life is in the blood. So don't drink the blood. Islamic dietary law, and again we'll talk about halal in, in, in another time, but uh, don't improperly slaughter the meat. That's a, a more important piece. And uh, but of course, again, no pigs. And in in Islam, it's really the only animal that is categorically prohibited. There's a lot of different things to worry about when it comes to the rabbinic tradition. Eventually, um, but eventually, the Islamic legal teaching will say that anything with a canine tooth, you know, we've got canine teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, predators. That's also in the old, old Hebrew Bible, Old Testament. Uh, but for Islam, domestic donkeys, mules, birds of prey, creeping animals, snakes, and foxes are all ruled out. So these are these are things that you don't want to eat. And generally speaking, those aren't the tastiest uh, very often. Uh, but Islamic folklore, though, interestingly, suggests that the pig was born on Noah's Ark out of the poop of an elephant. So you don't want to eat elephant poop. Huh. <laughs> so interesting. Like, what's that is? But we just have these. We have these ideas. I mean, just interesting how how, how people uh, find things disgusting. Another interesting thing about pigs is you know when we're in Spain, you see hams hanging up everywhere, right? Very very important. Um, and oh goodness, those meats. You talk about bacon. But some <laughs> of the, some of the cured meats in in Spain, we're maybe going to be in Spain this uh, next summer may have to have a little bit more <laughs> with the kids, you know. Um, but in Spain, there was a ri- ritual public slaughter of pigs called the Matanza. And uh, this has come to symbolize really Christian rejection of Muslim occupation. Mm. So the idea is we're proud Christians, so we eat pork. And you think about the Easter ham. Um, there is some reason to believe that the reason you have an Easter ham is to make it very clear, especially if you're a, a converso, if you're a, a former Jew or Muslim in Spain, at one point you have Spanish overlords, and then the Christians come in and say, we're going to get rid of, on the Iberian Peninsula, we're going to get rid of Muslims and Jews, you have to convert or go. Mm. So if, you're, if your neighbors are worried that you might still be Jewish or, or Islamic, if you hang the, the ham outside and you're curing the ham, then it's a symbol that you're part of the scene. Right. You know, it's like taking your hat off for the national anthem, you know. And if you don't do it, now you, you know, it's in danger. It's interesting how political, we were saying this, food is always political. Yes. Food is always very emotional. Food is always very irrational, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And it, it is so tied to our, our psychological hang-ups, yeah. you know, and our political affiliations. Here, here are my takeaways, therefore. Uh, First, diet is deeply connected to our spirituality and our politics. Right. 
It is visceral, psychic, and spiritual. It's not like, here's Jeff and Stacy talking about the spirituality of food. Isn't that weird? No, it is what we do. What we eat is saying something. And when you're hanging out and you want to say, we are not like these liberals and we're eating, a, you know, ribs, that's sometimes a play as well, mm-hmm. right? And I've done that too. Like, look at these, you know, weaklings. I'm going to eat steak. Steak is manly, you know. So there's, there's that. doesn't matter which way you're going with it, you know. And, um, and there's also, number two, there's also a way in which people tend to turn this into a religion kind of way of thinking such that they, they become worried about the impurity contaminating it. So you'd say, I don't even want my food to be anywhere near meat. Mm. And I think, uh, I respect it, but that's where you're starting to get more into this kind of taboo sacred zone, right? Like, like, is it for us, for instance, we don't want to live a lifestyle that's going to increase unethical behaviors in society in general. But if somebody was about to throw away a perfectly good, uh, uh, Polish sausage, I would not want that animal to have died in vain. So I'm not worried that somehow I am putting bad magic into my body other than, you know, as a general rule, I don't want to have nitrites or something. Right. Well, right now, as I'm even envisioning that my stomach is starting to gurgle, like as if like, it I would don't want not it. settle well. Yeah. Like I just have a feeling that if I, I, get you, I love them, by how the way, about a wonderful I love, piece of, oh, yes. I love the course, way that they yes. t- taste. How about a, how about a wonderful uh, chicken breast on your salad? Somebody's right. going to throw away the chicken breast. Right. Don't throw away the... And we've seen this, people that are vegans taking the chicken breast off, throwing that into the trash. Like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. I mean, especially if you're vegan for specific health condition. Right. But my point being, my point being, notice how religious people are about it, where it's it's not as rational. Or think about it this way. What if the, the, the plant crop that you're eating is uh, such a... It involves a practice where little gophers are getting chewed up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. They, they yeah. are, right? Or whatever, right? So so I'm not trying to make you sad about your barley. I'm simply saying don't don't um don't let your need for purity get in the way for you trying to be good. Mm-hmm. So maybe you don't want to be a vegan, but does that mean that we are cool with cruel practices of slaughter? Right. We shouldn't be, right? So Let's get actually to be what it means to be good and make that our first and foremost concern. Because the, the reason, and I guess this is the thing, religion is a cop-out for a lot of people. I don't eat any animal product. Therefore, I'm not going to eat honey and I'm not going to eat oysters. Well, I can almost guarantee that by the time I'm done with, as I'm still researching this stuff, that some of the best ways for us to be good for the environment would be to reduce our dependence on sugarcane fields and and get more people making honey, good for, get the bees out there pollinating, you know. Um, If we could move to more oysters, that'd be good. Yes, it's technically a plant. I'm saying it's technically an animal, right? We categorize it this way. But without using our critical reason, we might find ourselves endangering mammals and their habitat to make way for more um, plant-based food. We just have to be sane about it. Yeah. And, and I think this is where, when we say protect your noggin, religion always gets, religion gets in the way of otherwise good spiritual and ethical teaching. It does. I would also say that on the flip side, there are ways in which, you know, with me being, you know, 
a veganish vegetarian. It's <laughs> a vegetarian, but but with a very heavy vegan side in you yep. as well. That you know, when we go over to eat at my sister's house, right? That yep. you know, we'll eat what we can that is there from what's being served, type of thing. Um, and, and then you know, if, before something is going to be wasted again, you know, we might have you know something that they that they're eating. But I, I think that there's that that hard part of. Uh, self-righteousness type yeah, of thing. Yeah, judgmentalism. Can, judgmental. That can s- sneak up on us, you know, with, in, with our diets. Vegans can be diets. really annoying. They're right. almost as annoying. They're, they're annoying like uh, fundamentalist Christians. Right. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, it's yes. fundamentalist fooders. And so I just, you know, I bring that up too because even even that, you know, it, you know, some of it can get turned into such a way that it, I don't know, like almost like, it's also like an an attention seeking thing too, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, right. I am in a special a class. Sin. I do that, you know, and and I don't yeah. eat that. And yeah. and anyway, I I find that just as horrific sometimes. Wait, and it's unhelpful. It I think it actually yeah. hurts the cause. It does. Like Jesus said, "Pray in your closet. Don't go praying out and think." <laughs> right. Now we're and talking. So, we're talking about it not to praise ourselves. We're saying like this is an experiment that's really done wonders for our lives already and we're just and it was it's not easy for us like it yeah. wasn't easy at first right at like first, it yeah. it was like it it was intimidating i'll say that at first well no and there was that there was that point in which i was i was getting panicky like i don't have enough food like i'm like suffocating yeah and then my body settled in to like oh this is good and it learned how to right. what to expect but other takeaways food is symbolic of our affiliation and our disaffiliation it is and so it's important to say like well what what, what does you, it say? I mean, I yeah. think I think that, you know, with with the era that we live in, with all of our access to information, I think that not knowing something is a is becoming a cop out. Mm. Uh, you know, if yeah. you if you look at, you know, you really look at some of the things that that you're consuming and what it might say or not consuming and, and why, you know, yeah. um, I say take that seriously. Not in a panicked way, just no, be cool. But you can do research. <laughs> yeah. You can look into it. And and hey, if you learn some things and along the way as you are researching, send us a note. You know, send if there's something note. that you think that, you know, it would, you know, be helpful helpful for us to know. Because I you know, I think that we often don't think through all of this. I think that we don't think through most things. <laughs> right. right. But what what I yeah, like I, I would say that we're able to often sort of compartmentalize our religion or spirituality as one thing and our lives as something else. Yes. But as you had mentioned, I think it's super important to keep in mind that our lives, it is, I mean, that's what, it, I mean, it, it's all of the values that we've internalized. Yeah. So what are those values that you've internalized? And, and that comes, you know, it comes out in how you shop. It comes out in how you eat, mm-hmm. how you dress. I mean, there's just, you are a complete person. Yeah. So be consistent. <laughs> and and think about, you know, where are those inconsistencies <laughs> and do they make sense, you know? Yeah. So one of the things, we were sitting at a music festival. It was a cool hippie music festival in the desert and uh, just great food. Uh, a lot of a lot of people at this hippie music festival also liked plant-based diets. So mm-hmm. you had the acai bowls, and you had um, the you know vegetarian nachos and different things, um, and then pizza. But um, but you didn't you didn't have a lot of the the kind of barbecue fare that you would have at a um, like a, at a county fair, right, 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 uh, or something else, right, or 
country music. You mean music, that like big turkey music. leg, that yeah, huge, huge the country music festival. Turkey leg yes. that you can, you know, you just, you look like Flintstones when you're, yes. you know, eating that, that piece of meat. And it was, but I really liked this one part of it. Um, and the kids, I think it was like maybe Augie that said it at first, like there ain't no subway here. Mm. And what this means is it's not like you wouldn't get, it's not illegal to have subway at this music festival. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, uh, it, people won't necessarily scowl at you, but it just doesn't feel fitting. Right. Right. So it just, it like all of a sudden we were saying, wait a minute, kind of corporate processed meats is not what feels right when I'm listening to this music, hanging out with these people. It feels inconsistent. It feels inconsistent. And we knew instantly. And that's where you start to feel like, oh, the you know, when when something is inconsistent like that and you start to, like, then it feels like the whole thing is just contrived almost in a marketing scheme. <laughs> right. We've been, we've been to reggae festivals that yes. were totally corporate and it just, it just didn't feel right. Right, right. It yeah. was like you see the... The ickiness on the one side and then the music and what the words are on the other. And it's like, yeah, this somehow it does not all come together. So whatever friends that you do in your life, it's not just, you know, don't be all hyper paranoid about feeding your kids healthy stuff, but do feed your kids healthy stuff. Feed yourself. Take take care of you. Love you with the food you eat. Your food is your medicine. Your food is your sustenance. If you don't take care of what you're eating, it's probably a sign that you're not taking care of what you're doing for yourself spiritually, right. emotionally. Well, and I, you know, and I've obviously I've been in involved in nonprofit work and, you know, having, you know, various conferences and things like that of, you know, where we bring people in. And mm-hmm. I know that what we feed the people is, you know, a big part of trying to factor in, yeah. you know, especially with cost, to be yeah. honest, too, for a conference and things like that. So it's, sometimes it's easier to go with, you know, what's what's cheapest. But also I would I would say, does this food seem to be fitting for the conference that you're at or hosting, you know, or the event, you know? Yeah. You, it, it, if it's, it says a lot. Like when, when we went to uh, Mockingbird in uh, New York City. Mm-hmm. They always, you know, like they had, they had compostable uh, forks and knives. Mm-hmm. They had farm to table food, wonderful greens. Local. It, uh, I said, okay, these people are paying attention to the food. So they're there, therefore probably paying attention to other things as well. Right. And this is why friends, Stacey and I were talking, we talking about this. When you think about your kid's school, yeah. go to the cafeteria and see what they're feeding them. Well, especially when I would say when, well, yeah, all, all school, but even more so when you are choosing to pay for the education yes. of these children. You're right. Like public school, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. You care about it. And and if you see it's horrific, you know, you could maybe <laughs> go ahead and talk to the authorities about that. But but when it comes to, again, if you're paying for the education of your children and they're, they're feeding them food. I mean, I yep. often wonder in colleges and things like that, like there's, you know, you're there to, you know, get your mind fed, but if they're haphazard about the rest of the care of your child, how can you really trust what they're teaching? Yeah. And do they really care about your child? Right. Or do they care about their bottom line? 
Right. Now, of course, you got to care about the budget, right? Yeah. And you got to make sometimes, you know, decisions. But, you know, when we were when we were designing some creative stuff at Trinity Lutheran College, at first people got really angry because we had vegetarian-only food, but it was like really healthy food. We wanted to say healthy and local. what we're teaching is going to be consistent. Yes. Every part of the way we are as a community is going to be consistent. So... We're not trying to prescribe anything for you, friends, but we are recommending that you keep you and your family from assimilation into Babylon. We ask that you consider keeping yourself and your diet free from control, from the Roman beast. And consistent with what you believe, who you are, what you want to be. It's hard. But once you get past that first phase of readjusting your assumptions about what you're going to be eating, what are the things you have in your fridge and uh, how they fit in with your religious alignment, it starts to get not just easy, it starts to get intuitive. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So uh, cheers to you, bon appetit, and until next time, peace upon peace. Uh, thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter no too much.